beloved, you are now tuned in to Three Black Men, a podcast by three black men where we talk about theology, culture, and the world around us. The following content may not be suitable if you ain't real enough. Listener discretion is advised because real recognize real. Here's the hope when we look familiar. Welcome, everybody, back to the podcast. My name is Robert. I'm Trey. And we are, we're the two Black men, part of the larger cohort of the three Black men. Uh, But today, it is just uh, Trey and I. And listen, we've had some good guests so far on this season. And we have author, wonderful human being, (laughs) uh faith brooks welcome to the podcast welcome thanks for having me i'm glad to be here yeah we are excited we're excited we're excited we're excited i very glad yeah i first want to say on the table we are talking about your book remember me now a journey back to myself and a love letter to black women and this is an honor for us. Funny story I'm going to give as we get into this conversation. I started listening to Melanated Faith at the beginning of the uh, pandemic, not knowing you at all, not knowing you or Catherine. And I, I equated you in my mind with Truth's Table. And there aren't a lot of Black uh, Christian podcasts. So I was like, wow, these people are so cool. If I have a podcast one day I want to I want them to be on my podcast <laughs> and here we are I know. <laughs> years later, later. We made it <laughs> we made listen we're doing big things so welcome I enjoy Melody and Faith a lot um, yeah thank you thank you so much Catherine and I just you know we want to bring a little bit of life to the culture and you know let black people know and other people know we like to have fun we like to have good conversations conversations that make people think so yeah it's been a lot of fun yeah and one more thing about melanated faith i think what i enjoy about that space is uh yes there's a spiritual but it isn't overly spiritual you're like we're christian but we don't have to talk about the scripture the whole time you know there's this segment uh go off sis that i thoroughly uh, enjoyed uh, hearing raw thoughts um, from from y'all. So yes, I enjoy it immensely. Go ahead. You were about to say something, Trey? No, I was not. I, okay. I am very much enjoying this this love right here. I was basking in the love. I, sometimes my, part of my my favorite part of these episodes is at the beginning where we just be pouring just praise and love on people and everything because i think it's important to give people their flowers while they're still here and before we hit record i talked about how your very presence and everything is just radiating and everything so yeah i was just basking in it i ain't had nothing to say (laughs) i love that i love that this is great (laughs) where's the affirmation here um so the first question i have uh as we think about you and think about the book is, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, um, even outside of what you do? Like, who are you? Yeah, I'm happy to do that. 
Um, and one thing I'm going to say for all of the listeners, if you hear a little noise, it is my dog. Okay. My, my puppy dog. <laughs> that, Very that beautiful will, dog. <laughs> that will not leave me alone. <laughs> so um, I am a daughter. I'm a sister. I'm a friend. And more recently, I am a wife. I don't know when you stop saying you're a newlywed, but I feel like I'll be. It could be five years while. later. Keep saying it. <laughs> you got a good thing. Um, especially like getting married in my 30s. There's there's such a a shift in in a sense um, with your connection of who you are and your identity as you go from being only yourself to joining yourself with with somebody else and having your individual identity and also developing a collective shared um, identity and family. So um, I'm still growing into that collectiveness. It's a lot to learn and um, it's really beautiful. I wish more people talked about that phase of life and of marriage, but um, overall as a human being, I would consider myself just to be a lover of people and um, I really enjoy community. I also like being at home and um, not always being with people either. So it's, I love a little bit of both. And um, I have found myself in my life and in my career in a variety of different spaces throughout my um, journey, simply from saying yes from one thing to the next. So um, people oftentimes ask me, well, how did you get there as a writer? Or how did you get to this point in your career? It's like, I just said yes. I did a lot of saying yes in my 20s. Um, Shonda Rhimes has this book called um, like The Year of Yes. And I think I read that when I was like 24 or 25. Um, and I was so inspired by it. And so I spent time saying yes to whatever I felt like you know, peace about saying yes to you. And that has led from one thing to the next. So I've spent my career as a social worker working in nonprofits with the goal to do work that helps provide, um, you know, change to systemic issues. And so that work has varied throughout my career in different facets. And I've always loved writing. And so I've been writing and blogging since there was like Zanga and, and oh Tumblr. Oh my Lord, not Zanga. Yes. That's a deep cut. That's a deep cut. <laughs> My yes. God, it's the embarrassment for me. Whoa. Yes. I had a Zanga. I was always sharing my thoughts in some way. Yeah. It's like, it's and who cares? It's like these young people sharing their unfiltered thoughts with the world. Like, who really cares? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, this writing journey, it's been a, it's been a long standing thing that I've done over the years and it's just kind of grown so but overall I I'm just you know another human being that wants to bring love and light into the world and I tell people all the time I'm a family gal I love my family I love being an aunt I love my people and that's just where I find the most happiness I love that so much one of the things that that introduction did for me having read this book uh, remember me now before this conversation um it hearing you give that introduction about yourself put a lot more into perspective for me right because you introduced yourself both in your relation to other people but then also highlighted the fact that you also enjoy your alone time and and self-definition and everything and even in the subtitle it's so curious like i love it a journey back to myself and a love letter to black women right and that was interesting for me to read it because you ain't write this book for me and, and that was clear and, and, and that was amazing. Like I, I felt as though I were eavesdropping. So I, 
my first question is when, at what point did you know, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to write this book and it got to be for, it got to be for us. It got to be for my sisters. Can you walk me through that? Yeah. So I originally started um, conceptualizing pieces of this book back in 2017. I was going to take my uh, journey for this book. I was going to take my journey for this book a different direction. And I decided that I would, um, kind of like reevaluated right in 2020. Um, so I put this book proposal that I had started to the side and hold on one second. So I put this book proposal to the side and I said to myself, okay, I feel like this is a book I want to write, but I'm not sure that it's all the way there yet. I don't have all of the words yet. And so I left it. So I left it in 2017. I didn't pick it back up. I didn't feel like Hyatt was like fully inspired. And then truth be told, like, I really don't think that I had all of the words together yet. So what I ended up doing was waiting. And then in 2020, I felt like with all that was going on in the world, the words were just flowing. I went from feeling like I was like in a writer's block, a drought of sort to the words just free flowing and coming to me. So I changed some of the direction of where I wanted to go, but I kept some of the stories and things that were included. But originally I thought because we're, I was doing so much work and talking and doing anti-racism work, I thought that I would include pieces in there where I would talk to white folks within the book and just kind of like speak to to them in, in a way. And I decided after trying to figure out how I would want to go from these chapters where I was specifically talking to black women and then going into a chapter to say like, I specifically want to say this to my white friends. I was like, you know what? That just doesn't feel like what I want to do. I want yeah. to only talk to black women and I want to hone in and narrow that down because I feel like that's that's just where my heart is like I want to talk to us and I want to talk to us only so I actually had to go back to my publisher and say you know what I'm changing course what I originally was thinking about I don't want to do that I had a whole chapter actually I haven't really even talked about this but I had a whole chapter where I was going to specifically um write to white people white women specifically and I took it out um I didn't even finish the chapter I was having a hard time writing it and I was like you know what this is just not what I want to write I want to write to black women and I want to write to black women only. And thankfully my publisher was so supportive. They were like, that's great. Actually, that's even better. Like it's even better that you narrow in your focus, you narrow in your audience. Um, everybody can read the book, you know, any and everyone can read it. And that's really the heart. Um, I wanted everybody to kind of be able to glean something from it. But overall, I wanted the reader to know that like when I was writing this book, I was writing this with Black women in mind, knowing full well that women of different ethnicities and women in general would be able to glean from different experiences I shared. But that's kind of how I got to writing to Black women specifically. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And I want everybody to catch y'all. Y'all just got a three black men exclusive right there. She ain't even <laughs> talking about that. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, and right here. Yeah, I um it's the specificity for me. Um, and I think the more that things are focused, it actually it's like potent, right? When you try to subdivide your attention, uh the book be coming out messy. <laughs> I'll just say that. I'm yeah. some books, but Lord. Um and so along that line, like talking to black women, women, the book appears to be, and you can correct me, 
it appears to be like equal parts your story and equal parts like almost this dialogue with black women is what it feels like it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel like it's just you in the room like you're sharing stories about your family about women uh, about your mother specifically and um I'm curious, like when you survey the news, popular media, and the stories that are out there about Black women, just in general, like what do you see? Like what do you think about those things? When I survey the general landscape of the news and media about Black women, I feel like it's typically negative. I do Mm -hmm. think that we're in a time where Black women are shining, you know, um, we're seeing Black women in so many different positions of power, and it's incredible, and it's really easy to just for people to say, see, y'all are fine. You have, you know, a um, biracial vice president, Kamala Harris. You have, you know, your, um, you know, different women in Hollywood. You have, you know, Joy and Reed and like all these people, like you have, you have people, you have Black women in powerful spaces. But the truth is, is that they are very much a minority um, within the whole scope of Black women. So it's just like a, a tiny speck of Black women you're seeing succeed. And we can't act like because there's a few that are winning that everybody's winning right now. Um, Of course, we want to see everybody win. But the truth is, is that the general perception of Black women is negative. Um, and so I think when I am examining the way that Black women are viewed and perceived, it was really, really important to me to speak to our dignity, to speak to our humanity, and to really call people's attention to the fact that it's easy for us as Black women to be dismissed, ignored, dehumanized, and I really wanted to petition people to remember us and remember us now and don't just remember us when we're gone and everybody's feeling bad or like oh man like you know they were such a great person like no we're great now so just like you all spent the beginning like giving we were giving each other our flowers or giving me my flowers like do that for people that you know you're around right now while they're living and not just when they're gone and that's what I wanted people to start reflecting on because it is very easy to dismiss Black women because of the stereotypes within the media. And I'm so grateful for to have Black men read my book. It means a lot because um, I think it, it's, it means even more to have brothers read it and to be able to listen to things from our perspective. Yeah, oh, thank you. Absolutely. I think it's important for brothers to read things like this. And not just from the typical, like, oh, I got a mother, I got a, I got a sister, like, perspective of, of I love black women like that. There are times when sometimes we just got to sit down and shut up and listen so that we can become better lovers and more dedicated to your wholeness, just even outside of the ways that you relate to us. We need to be able to understand you better. And I think that that was, oh, it's always a benefit that, that I come away with, but particularly in reading your book it is as the subtitle would suggest a journey like I I learned a whole lot right and without me rambling too much like this season of ours in in this podcast we've been looking through liberation and I I can literally track as I'm reading through this your your journey and the things that you needed to highlight and where like as, as you felt close to yourself right closer to being free can you point to like 
a moment where you recognized a, a need or a quest for liberation? Or was this sort of a thing that you just recognized happening and, and, and went with? I think there was like different phases and points in my life when I knew that I needed, um, I knew that I needed to address the issues that were kind of like underlying like within me. And so I would say phase one probably was when I was 25. And I knew that I needed to go to counseling to really start talking through the things that had gone awry in my dad and I's relationship. And, and I knew that things there really needed to be repaired. Um, you know, I had spent years trying to like, oh, pray, pray it away, pray to be better, pray to just be like, okay, we're, you know, it'll be fine. I'm gonna pray about it. But I, I really needed to heal. I need to talk deeply about it. And that was like the first phase of walking through what I, you know, know to be like a journey of liberation. And I would say, um, the next, I'm going to say this again. I would say the next phase of liberation for me is um, whenever I was processing um, being raped and I knew that I needed to find my way back home to myself, I knew I needed to heal. There was really distinct moments in my life when I knew that I couldn't just carry on with life as normal. I had to make a conscientious decision to heal and pursue freedom, to pursue that liberation. And because I had been in a place of hurt before, I knew that, okay, this is the time. Like I, I have two options. I can either carry on and ignore and not deal with this, or I can stop and address it so I can live whole and happy. And I even told a person, you know, Hey, listen, like I have an option here. I'm dating somebody I really like. We're talking about getting married. And this is probably the only time in my life that I'm going to have left to do me, to heal by myself, to make decisions that I need to make for me. Um, this is probably the only time I'm going to have to do that before I get married and eventually want to have a family. And so I have to make a decision for myself as a woman, what I need to do. And so that's exactly what I did. I just stopped what I was doing. I moved in with my brother and his kids, and I just started pursuing this journey of healing for myself. And it was transformational for me. It's what I needed to do. And I, and I think sometimes we don't talk about the healing journey enough in the sense that you do have to sacrifice some things. It can be difficult at times. It isn't always easy, but it can, it can be done. It can happen. And I'm grateful that I made that decision because that feeling, that feeling of liberation, that feeling of freedom, it was life-changing for me. And, and I needed, I needed that freedom. And so now mm -hmm. I get to live that today, which is wonderful. Before Sam, Rob, and myself were podcast co-hosts, we were friends. This podcast grew out of a friendship. And honestly, it's grown into something more of a podcast. It's now a community. You can take part in that community at patreon.com slash three black men, all the way spelled out. And in that community, you'll get early access to episodes, bonus content like writings, videos, even some live conversations that you can take part in. In the event that you'd like to support us but aren't ready to commit to Patreon yet, you can submit a one-time gift via PayPal, where you'll find us at 3blackmenpodcast at gmail.com. However you choose to support, 
We're thankful that you did. Let's get back to the show. Thank you for that vulnerable sharing both here and in the book. I mean, you talk about multiple traumas, um, sexual assault, you talk about spiritual abuse, you talk about just these massive things, this racial trauma um, in multiple settings. Um, and so it's there. It's not the only thing you share, but you are like transparent about it. And so again, anyone can glean things from there because I was dealing with my own stuff as I was reading your book written to black women. Um, yeah. And something I'm curious about, you you just mentioned your brother. Um, and I, I'm just curious, talk about your brother and your relationship, because that's in the book too. And it's, it's a really beautiful relationship to see um, you trying to defend him uh, in a fight. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, Faith got hands. <laughs> One thing she could, she not go play about her brother. And I think there's something beautiful um, in seeing it written out, um, this obvious love that you have for your brother. And it's not the main point of the book, but I saw it as a thread through many different chapters. And yeah, could you touch on your relationship with him? Yeah, my brother is uh, my best friend. He's two and a half years older than me. And I always wanted to like have my brother and I live close together. And I wanted I wanted us to be roommates. And he, would, when we were in college, he was <laughs> like, like, no. Mm, no. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it wasn't until like, uh, I mean, and even after college, I tried to get him to be roommates with me. He was like, no, I have my boys. They had this bachelor pad. Um, he all, they always had somebody crashing there, staying there, somebody that didn't have a place to live that was living there temporarily. Like it was just like this, <laughs> this place, all his friends would it, it like infiltrate. And so it was funny because it wasn't until he was married that we had decided to become roommates. And I was like, why do you want to be roommates with me now? You just got married. <laughs> but, um, it was at a time like in his life where we just needed to really pull our resources together to get a bigger, um, to get a bigger place. And so we had to, um, so we moved to somewhere else where um, we all had our own space and could be together. My brother's son was really young at the time. And so it was just kind of like this family, you know, support. I had my own little space downstairs. We had a townhouse, like a three-story townhouse. And um, I was on the first floor, the living room was on the second, they were on the third, it just kind of worked out. And um, so this wasn't my first rodeo living with my brother and his wife, because we had done it before. And um, we all like were really cool and have enjoyed each other. But my brother's my friend. And um, he's not just like, okay, we're family by, you know, blood. So that's, that's that. But no, it's like, I enjoy him as a human being. Um, he's there for me. He knows that like, if I need anything, like I will, you know, he'll be there for me. And he knows if he needs anything, I'll be there for him. When he was down and out and didn't have a job and needed a new car, I gave him my car and I bought another car. Like, um, we just do that for each other. So I knew, that when I was having a hard time, I just needed to pick up the word, my the phone, say the word, and he would say, come and be with me. Um, it's just that like unconditional love that we have for each other. And even today, like he's, he, he's a pastor, um, an associate pastor at a church. And he, 
um, was leading prayer this morning and I was thinking about staying in bed and not waking up at 6 a.m. Um, or at 5.30 a.m. to get to prayer at 6. And I ended up going and he was um, preaching about family this morning and about the importance of family. And I said, well, I'm glad I woke up and came to church so I could see you preach when you're talking about family. Um, but it's been special because everything I wanted to have when I was younger, I have now. We, um, I ended up getting married. My husband's career happens to be in this area. And now we live 15 minutes apart in our own houses. And um, I live across the street from my niece and nephew's school. It's just a really cool moment in time and in life. And I'm grateful to have a brother like him that wants to just be my friend. And also um, we get to live life together. He's a huge part of my life. Um, I could have written so many different facets about him in the book, but um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be who I am without him. That is, I just want to say that is such a beautiful image like a prophetic image of what's possible between black men and black women too and i also just that ability to know that you have a landing space at least with if with nobody else you can with your brother i just that's moving to me but yeah yeah i love that so much it was encouraging to me personally because I, I got three kids of my own and um particularly my youngest two are 16 months apart and it's funny because at one moment they're best friends but i could even see some of that dynamic where like the, the little sister's like hey i want to go with you and the big brother's like yeah no nah, we're not doing that and they, even, <laughs> even you, you said it's funny you you didn't get to be roommates until he was married that's because he wasn't worried about you blocking no more at that point he was like, all right, <laughs> right. Now, come, come on. <laughs> exactly. I, 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 I see the game player player all right um, <laughs> uh, same time i um really enjoyed working through your thoughts and it was funny because sometimes I could feel frustration like at the beginning in particular where we navigated with you some of your experience in white spaces and things like that mm -hmm. like I was annoyed you, you could ask Rob I was texting him like I am annoyed <laughs> um but but coming through your journey of realizing like wait a second nah this this, this, this ain't gotta be that way you know and, mm -hmm. and even how eventually you you chose to embody yourself in fullness and, and putting that those things aside as you're recounting any of these experiences um and i know you said there was a part where you was like yeah i don't feel like writing this and you changed the trajectory of the book but mm -hmm. did anything that made it into the book was, was it harder or tougher for you to navigate in, in terms of putting that out yeah i would i think like the hardest thing to like convey and to convey in a way where i thought where i was hoping people would like hear and understand what i was saying was my experience with white folks, white foster parents in particular, um, not all, but some, um, not all um, white foster parents were this way, but I did experience a number of them that really challenged me in terms of like how they showed up and caring for these children and their faith and what they claimed. I don't know, like all of those things, yeah. like it, it was complicated. That was hard for me to write because I wanted it to be, um, I wanted people to understand what I was saying. And I wanted it to like, for people to hear the heart of, um, of how I was trying to present the information, which was, Hey, these are people who say they're followers of Jesus. They're also people who are willing to like, you know, either put these kids, um, back into a different foster home or have their clothes put in a trash bag and then you're you're out or even like be frustrated with like a 
you know, with one family in particular, um, they weren't on my caseload, but they were on a friend's and they did not, they were having a hard time with the, these two black kids. And one was a baby, which people of course love the babies. We can shape the babies into who we want them to be. Um, and, (laughs) and another one and the brother was like two. So it's like an infant and a two-year-old. Well, the two-year-old like had not, you know, heard any words really outside of cuss words. And so he always would say the F word. So like the first thing he said when he saw the, the foster parent was like F you or whatever. Right. And so these white people were just like, um, like, I don't know about this little black kid. I don't know if we can do this. And so they ended up like wanting to give the two-year-old back, but keep the baby. Um, Thankfully the caseworker was like, no, we're not going to do that. They're going to stay together. And in these kids case, they eventually went to a black foster home, which is still kind of rare that there's a lot of black foster homes. And I think that's just because we're busy taking care of kids in our own communities, in our own context, uh, not necessarily going through all the loops and hoops of the foster care system. But there happened to be a black family that was fostering and they ended up taking these kids in and eventually adopting them, which was great. Um, But it was stuff like that that kind of got to me. Like, this is a two-year-old who knows nothing. Like, and they were just so embarrassed of him. They talked about how they were embarrassed of him. And um, just hearing the way people talked about biological parents and like, you know, why would they let these people have kids and just all these different things. It was so challenging to me. And it was challenging to my faith. And um, it was hard to write. It was hard to write because there was moments when like, I was still so ignorant about things. There was um, times where I was not like speaking up as much as I wish that I would have. And so reflecting back on that time was, was definitely difficult for me and difficult in terms of writing things. If you need me to repeat that, let me know because he's no. making a noise. Okay. <laughs> you couldn't even hear it. Okay. I, I, um, the last question uh, we have for you is considering the collected wisdom you have of working as a social worker, uh, being a writer uh, and author, and and, um, and being an anti-racist um, uh, activist, teacher, etc. When you think about Black women and the horizon for Black women, I'm just curious, what do you see, right? You have this beautiful book that's your own journey and your own um, poems and letters to Black women. Like, what do you see on the horizon for Black women? I see healing and rest on the horizon for Black women. I feel like Black women are kind of entering this phase where we're figuring out how to be who we need to be to ourselves and not just who other people want us to be, right? And I think, you know, we have spent decades of um, historically Black women and our our ancestors have been the help. We have been the the child bearers. We've spent time, um, you know, mothering children that are not our own, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And now I feel like Black women in a deeper way are learning how to come home to ourselves. We're learning how to mother our children. We're learning how to take time for us. We're learning, hey, what do I need? Do I need extra help around here? Um, Do I need support? Like, what does that look like? And I feel like that is something that we're coming to. And I 
I see so much healing for us. And we can't underestimate the fact that, you know, trauma does run through our DNA. We do have to address these traumas. And, you know, there's things that our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents have experienced, and we are still trying to move forward and heal from those spaces. And so I think the expectation for Black women to just sacrifice ourselves, because that's just what we're supposed to do, I feel like that's changing. I think that's changing for a lot of us. I think we're rejecting the narrative that we have to kind of be martyrs of sort, you know, um, in order to to find our lane and space of wholeness. So my hope for Black women is that we can advocate in the ways that we can for others, but also be the biggest advocates for ourselves. I love that so much. One of the things that really sat with me in this book, there was one quick, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna give a whole chapter away enough, but do you mind if I read just a couple of lines? Oh, really sure. With me? Cool. Um, you had spoken at one point about how you love traveling and you used it as like an escape, right? And then towards the end of the book, there's um, one part where you talk about your first solo trip or one of your first solo trips, I can't remember. Um, but you, you said this one line, you said, in adulthood, my obsession with travel started out as a way to run away from my problems. But this time alone, unlocked more of my resilience. I discovered I was stronger and savvier than I knew. I learned what life could feel like once I was in sync with my own heartbeat, my own breath. And I just sat with that because in, in just taking inventory of where you've been and where you were, like the, that testimony in and of itself was a testimony, not just to your own resilience, but, but to the strength that so many of people carry inside of themselves without even knowing until they're in sync with their own breath and their own body. Right. Um, and so I just love that declaration of, Hey, re remember me now. Like I, I did this thing. Don't, don't wait until every, everything goes crashing down. And so I just wanted to thank you so much for sharing all of these parts of us. Um, it's, it's a wonderful book that you've proffered to the world here, a wonderful testimony that so many people have so much to glean from. Um, thank you for centering Black women in this, um, because even in doing so, I was able to learn so much uh, from you and how to show up better in the world. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. I did want to give you an opportunity, to, uh, though, if you wanted to, number one, give us a last word, if, if you so desire, and number two, let the people know where we could find you. So I think if there's anything that I could say as a, a last word, I would say to, to my brothers, um, we need you. We need your support. We need your encouragement and we need your affirmation. I think that far too often we are, I, I think there's a lot of ways society and just in our culture that can pit us against each other. And so um, I think it's important to, to remember that like we need each other. Um, and we have to continue that support. So I want to thank you all for supporting me. And um, the other thing I want to leave with my sisters is just that I pray that you find rest, whatever's ailing you, whatever's stressing you, whatever is causing you to feel overwhelmed. I hope that you find a place of rest. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We appreciate you rocking with us for another episode of Three Black Men. Here's the part of the show where we ask a favor from you. 
Now, earlier I mentioned a couple of ways that you can support us by joining our community over at patreon.com slash three black men. We have multi-tiered support options and you can get bonus content. If you don't want to do that, you can submit a one-time contribution by finding us on PayPal at threeblackmenpodcast at gmail.com. But we ain't here to tap your pockets. Here's a few ways that you can help us out without spending a single dime. You can stop what you're doing right here, right now, and make sure that you've left us a review and a rating. Don't just give us the five stars. Go ahead and write out how much you love this show and tell everybody about it. Do it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you at. Make sure you leave that rating and a review, and that's going to help even more people join the fun over here. Thank you so much. I knew God loved you for some reason. <laughs>